And at this time, if you would also turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, where we will read from verses 17 through to the end. This will be at least a two-part passage. There's so much here to be covered, and especially as it has to do with living Christian life, the fighting of the good fight of faith. So here, God's Word. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all in cleanness with greediness. But if not so learned Christ, so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, that not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. But no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, for by you are sealed to the day of redemption. That all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you and all malice. And ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Let us pray. O Lord, we pray that you will continue to teach us as we have read and been taught by him and that is you, our Lord and Savior, as the truth is in Jesus. In Christ's name, Amen. Now this study is actually continuing what I led into in the previous study in the office of believer. In the garden, man was created in the image of God, unlike the rest of the animal world. The image of God consists, at least according to the Apostle Paul, of three attributes of God, knowledge, holiness, and righteousness. When Adam fell, he lost the true knowledge of God. He lost the pure holiness of God. He lost the perfect righteousness of God. He went from being the new man that God created him to becoming an old man. That is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
When you are born again, you become a new man. You become a new woman. You become new, a new child, and especially a new child of God. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when you are in Christ Jesus, when you have been placed in the Son, in the Savior, in Christ, you are accounted with His perfect righteousness, and your sins are washed away from your soul by His precious blood. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us and from Him, most of all, who is all righteousness and true holiness incarnate. And while it is true that we can, we can still sin and do, we're giving some instruction here on how to fight the good fight of faith. How to help us to live a healthy Christian life. That was the theme, by the way, of our camp to the young people. And so I'm sort of presenting a new garb to you. First, he gives us a reminder of the hole out of our, of our past life of which we crawled out of. And that's literally aptly describing it, such as in Isaiah 51 1. Isaiah 51 1. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock. Whence you are hewn, into the hole of the pit whence you are digged. See, that's our past. That's our past. We came out of a hole in the ground, as it were. Now he presents four characteristics of the old you and the, the old life. He says in verse 17, You henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk. Walk representing life or how we live. Uh, and, and he says, he used to walk this way, which I call the Gentile walk. The Gentile walk. The life that's lived by the unregenerate and unbelievers of this world. And we know how they live. We can see it. But moreover, because we once lived it. And may I add, sometimes it comes back. Sometimes we find ourselves detouring off the straight and narrow path to that rabbit trail or this of sin. Look carefully at what the Apostle says, however. He says that you henceforth walk not, meaning no more. You have a high calling now, which is what you didn't have before, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And it says back in our passage in Ephesians chapter 1, a 4, that is, verse 1, Ephesians 4, verse 1, and the following. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That's the agenda. That's the protocol. That's what we are called to. To walk worthy because He is worthy who calls us. And also, another characteristic of our life back then, in the vanity of their mind. 
in the vanity of their mind. Futile thoughts, empty thoughts, empty and meaningless in content as far as anything having to do with God. Dark thoughts. Notice in 18, having the understanding darkened. Our minds are in darkness, or we're in darkness. And then being alienated from the life of God is another aspect of characteristic. Through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Such are those who are separated from God. They are ignorant that there is a true living God. And they will even say so. Sometimes to your face, there is no such thing. There is no God. The Bible comes back and says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Their minds are in the dark. They can't know God. Their hearts are blind. They can't love God. Their wills are captive to their lusts. They can't serve God. Because you can't do both. And then lastly, verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness or lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Whoa. Loose moral restraint. Talk about that. Especially with regard to sexual sins. Now with the information superhighway as we used to call the internet. Temptation, lust, sin have further loosened any moral restraint that we may have once had. Our generation is faced with a dilemma of moral and ethical gravity. Impurity and greediness are talked about hand in hand. The love of money, that is, and of sex. In Ephesians 5, 5, if you could go to it, reads, <clears throat> For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Not only is the covetous man or woman an idolater, meaning that it's his or her love of money has become something possessing him. Anytime something possesses you and you don't possess it, turns into just that very thing. But notice not only the covetous man or woman, but the whoremonger and unclean person. The love of pleasure is a super god in America. People come here from all over the world and are surprised by what they find. In a sense, money does grow on trees in America. That and the American dream have captivated the imagination of Americans from almost the very beginning. It wasn't long after the founding of this country that the church went to a deep, deep slump. And it took a great awakening to revive it. But the sleeping giant back to sleep. And we're doing a study, we did a study on this, that's why it's fresh in my mind. And well, there was a, supposedly a second great awakening, which was really, sadly, not entirely true to its calling. Uh, the, the, the 
sleeping giant continues to sleep, sadly, in our tour day. And I'm speaking in German, of course. In Luke 8, 14, Luke 8, 14, our Lord speaks to this, to this super idol in our lives, in the lives of, of, of many. Luke 8, 14 reads, And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures. Notice that. Of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. So there are fruit. It's, well, let me take that back. Because <laughs> I believe that Christ is implying that there is only one ground, ground representing the heart, that was living. The rest were not spiritually alive. And this one included. Don't let the love of money and sex choke out your Christian life. One or the other, especially both. You know, we talked about the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, under which this falls. But let's focus uh, briefly on the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. In Matthew 6, 24. <clears throat> No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. Our Lord speaks here of love and hate, which are emotions, which are feelings, which have to do with our heart. Watch your heart, in other words. Don't set your affections on things on earth. As someone said, the Apostle Paul, don't seek the gold and silver and precious stones of this world only. Can I say it's not worth it? Matthew 16, 26, our Lord says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Sometimes in the life of some, it comes down to that. It comes down to the wire of, of, of selling your soul out, of selling it to Satan, as it were, of selling it to sin. Mammon is deceiving. You know what mammon is, according to the Oxford Dictionary? It's a biblical term for riches, often used to describe the debasing influence of material wealth, unquote. And look at what this idol has done to many. So you become rich and famous. So what if in the end you have to give it all back to God anyway and give it back in such a way that it has to be wrested from your hands that are clinging to them? It says in Revelation 15 and 16, in Revelation, sorry, 6, 15 and 16, Revelation 6, 15 and 16, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, 
and from the wrath of the Lamb. Look at Proverbs 23, 4 through 6. Proverbs 23, 4 through 6. A very practical advice. Proverbs 23, 4 through 6. Labor not to be rich. Notice, labor not to be rich. Don't work for it. And cease from thine own wisdom. This is worldly wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? The riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Neither desire thou his dainties, or sorry, his dainty meats. Remember the story of Daniel? He didn't. He refused. Could have. In fact, he rose to such preeminence in that land because of the wisdom of God that he could have everything, but he, he chose the fear of the Lord. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They didn't. You. Don't seek the gold, silver, and precious stones of this world. Instead, focus your heart on another sort of gold and silver and precious stones talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 11 through 13. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. There it is. Of what sort. And the sort that we want is, of course, God's sort of riches. The gold and silver precious stones that he's talking about here, which are the gold, silver, and precious stones of good works, of faith and faith, of love of the brethren, of the kingdom of God, preaching of Christ and the crucified, died and resurrected. That's what it's about. The day of the Lord will reveal it, of what sort it is when the fires burn up the wood, hay, and stubble of our lives. And in some cases, it might be all of what one may have accumulated or have worked for in this life. But in the case of his elect, the Bible speaks about election, about, about there being a remnant according to the election of grace, they will be saved, but they'll have nothing to show to their Lord for all that he has done for them. Lay up the good sort of treasures, not upon earth, but in heaven, where moth and rust cannot corrupt, where thieves cannot break through nor steal. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now second, Paul gives us important information about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Christ's Holy Spirit. He says in, back in our passage in Ephesians chapter 
4 and verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. It's as if Paul was one of the 12 original disciples and apostles of the Lord. He wasn't. But he's implying that the church in Ephesus, and for that matter, all Christians everywhere, learn at the feet of Christ. And indeed we do. We're his disciples. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That yoke is the yoke of discipleship. The yoke of learning of him. Because he goes on to say, and learn of me. That's what Christian life is all about. Learning as much from the master. About the master. About his glorious and majestic kingdom. About his marvelous and saving grace about His wonderful, transforming power in making us like Himself and less like what we were before. If so be you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, He goes on to say, as the truth is in Jesus. Precious truths of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, adoption into the family of God, the righteousness of God credited to us eternal life. John wrote in his, one of his epistles in 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, that we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Eternal life is not simply some commodity that you can purchase on eBay or any other way. It is the gift of God. This is what Paul teaches, that Christ taught him. And I call it the put-off, put-on principle. This is what others have called it. But I'm just borrowing The put-off, put-on principle. You, Read this passage and you'll see it. It's there. In verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, which is the Middle English word for lifestyle, the old man. Put that off. Put him off, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See that? Put off in order to put on. You can't put on without first putting off. Let me get that straight. There's no faith without repentance. Or there's no, well, there is faith first and then repentance, then there's faith again, okay? Please understand where I'm coming from. Of course, it's faith all the way. But there's no faith where there's Repentance absent. That's a bogus faith. That's the faith of devils who also believe and tremble. But their trembling does not constitute worship. And neither does yours. If that's all it is, it has nothing to show for it. But notice you put off concerning the former lifestyle of the old man. That as you strip away the old life like old filthy clothes, I picture. Lazarus when he was in the tomb. And he came forth when Jesus said at the door, after removing the rock, Lazarus come forth. And 
you can picture this. He's walking in great clothes, you know, like probably like this. And as, he, as they realize he's alive, they begin to unravel his great clothes. That's like our sins. That's like our putting off the old man. That's like our stripping ourselves of our sins. And then put on the new man like a brand new set of clothes, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This is even the righteousness of Christ, which you and I have by faith and are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Who is ultimately Christ in you and me, the hope of glory, as Paul says in another place in Colossians 1 27. Paul said also, not for himself, I believe, but for all who are in Christ Jesus, something to the same effect in Galatians 1 15 and 16. Galatians 1 15 and 16 giving his testimony on how he came to faith in the Lord. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Notice, when the Lord began his work in Paul, was when he was in his mother's womb. When did the Lord work in our lives? It was when we were in our mother's womb. It was there that he knew us. He foreloved us. And that to save from all eternity because he is the one after all who has fearfully and wonderfully made us all. And that is why the protection of the unborn is so essential God help us to help them because we're ministering possibly to the very saints of God. But also this passage describes what he does when he calls us by his grace. He reveals his son in us. His son Jesus Christ living in us. That's not just Paul. Paul is giving himself as an example as he continues to do so throughout his writings. Even to the very end when he says, I am the chief of sinners. But this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He's not discriminating on, on any human basis or any human distinction. Just think about it. He loves sinners. He loves sinners like you and me. When a sinner is saved, it is described as death and burial of the old self and resurrection of the new. Look at Romans 6, 6 and 4. I turn the order around. Just those two verses in Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> this is what God does. From 6 6. <clears throat> Knowing this, that our old man, remember the old man, is crucified with him.
that the body of sin, that is our sinful nature, might be destroyed. It's in a process of dying. It's being crucified. We die daily, the Bible says. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Let's not aid and abet that old nature to come back to be revived. But let us continue the process of putting him away. And then verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism. Baptism being an, an emblem, a sign and a seal of our being forgiven, cleansed of our sins by the work of Christ and our burial and death to sin. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism to death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's the goal. Is that your goal? I trust that it is. That's why we need to keep on praying. That's why we need to keep on confessing. That's why we need to keep on repenting. That's why we need to keep on turning from sin and turning back to Christ. That's why we need to turn to Jesus. Because without Him we cannot do this. You don't have the wherewithal to, to accomplish this. It is impossible. He says, except you be joined in me, and I do you, except you abide in me. By abiding in the vine, you as a branch can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. And why we need to keep on following Jesus. As our Lord said one time in Luke 9, 3, 23 and 24, and he said to them all, What? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. This is the gospel that includes that word D-A-I-M-Y. This is not something that people get at the beginning of their life and then they, they move on to bigger and greater things. This is something that continues from that point all the way to the end. We are in tandem with Jesus. We are hopefully walking in the shadow of the Master, hoping that we are walking at the heels of the Shepherd, and that we are not far from Him. Because we know how it is when we stray, when we get too far back. You know, we start, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's very interesting, you know, pasture. Uh, oh, this is very nice, uh, forests. Uh, this is very nice, high uh, altitude. Uh, but just remember, you know, uh, it has its consequence when you get your eyes off of Jesus. Always. And if for some reason you find yourself doing this day by day, as I've read from the words of Christ, in the Christian life, chuck it up yourself. No, no, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's not easy. It's not easy. And there are days you want to throw in the towel. I know. You don't have to tell me about your, your, your testimony. I've been there. But if you can say that you are following and you are safe and on your way, Praise God. Thank the Lord. As Paul said in Philippians 3, 12. I think that's the last scripture I'm going to be reading. Maybe not. But in, in, in Philippians 3, 12 it reads, 
Not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect or mature, but I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm still following Christ. And why I am able to strive and why I do strive is because He has He has not just my back covered, but He has me covered. Underneath and round about are the everlasting arms of the Lord. It's a race. The Christian life is a race. You and I are not there yet. If we, if we arrive, we'll be in heaven. That's the end of the race. There's a ways yet. I don't know how long for you or for me, but is it worth it? This race has no immediate rewards to it. This race has no uh, material or earthly benefits with it. And it's a race that involves hard work and endurance, perseverance of the saints, blood, sweat, and tears. But is it worth it? Yes, it means that I become more and more like the Lord Jesus. Remember those three attributes I spoke of at the beginning from the garden of knowledge, holiness, and righteousness. You and I are beginning to get them back. We have them back in Christ. He's gone ahead, but we are beginning to have them back ourselves. Sin didn't totally obliterate God's image in us, but it did have a significant number to it, let me tell you. That our imago deo, this Latin for the image of God in us has been blurred. It's like, you know, you can't really tell what it is, even with the most uh, good prescription classes. In Colossians 3.10, it says, and have, and have put on the new man, and this is where we get knowledge, by the way. We have to put two scriptures together. Colossians 3.10 is the first one. Or the first attribute that was marred comes up, Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. That means God. So that's being renewed. And then we go back to our passage, and this is the last, Ephesians 4.24. Ephesians 4.24. This brings the other two attributes up. And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There we are. So God is in the process of renewing us after His own image, after His own likeness, which was in the beginning. And we will be that way forever and ever. And so next time there will be more specific detail about this process, which is also called in theological terms sanctification. And we will talk of it vis-a-vis this principle called the put-off, put-on principle. Because that's the one that the Apostle Paul zeroes in on in our passage. Shall we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your work in our lives. We are thankful because we know that had you not worked in us to will and to do of your good pleasures, we would not be 
working out our salvation with fear and trembling as we are now. We would not be here. We would be somewhere else on the beach or out there fishing on the pier on your day. But instead, we are found here, thankful for the air conditioning, thankful for the uh, wonderful facility that we have in which to meet, rejoicing in Jesus, rejoicing in you, our hope, our God. How you love us. How you love us enough to bear with us. You are truly a long-suffering God. And finally, the long-suffering of God will lead to salvation. Thank you, God. Thank you for saving our soul. Thank you for making us whole. Thank you for giving to us this which, Lord, cannot be put into words, for it is the unspeakable gift. In Christ's name, amen.